Hi, everybody, and welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Corinne. I'm James. I'm Justin. And I'm Cleo. And on this episode, we'll be doing our topic episode for psychological horror. We'll be talking about... The Shining, written by Stephen King. Jacob's Ladder, directed by Adrian Lim. And The Evil Within, developed by Tango Gameworks. Uh, All right, so as usual, are we saying the topic episode is entirely spoiler-filled? So if you've not read, watch, played any of these things and you would rather not have it spoiled this is your heads up right now um everything is fair game for all three of those things and probably several others we'll probably also be spoiling the shining the movie <laughs> yes yeah yep and uh, potentially other forms of media i don't know we've talked about fan fiction yes we will be spoiling so much fan fiction um, that'll, that'll be a separate bonus episode uh but yeah so if because of spoilers you are jumping out here Quick reminder, this is the last episode for our psychological horror series. Starting with our next episode, we are going to be jumping into sci-fi noir, which we will be opening with Altered Carbon in our read episode, followed by Blade Runner, and then Gemini Rue. So, into this. All right, I think my favorite question that we always do for the topic episodes, and one that will be particularly delightful for this round, <laughs> which world would you rather live in? <laughs> If I pick The Shining, do I get to say, like, caveat in Florida? <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow it, but only for James. I mean, all, but also, like... <laughs> oh, but then I have to live in Florida. Th- there's an- <laughs> One, yes, there's that issue. Two, if you had read the sequel novel, the Overlook is not the only thing you have to worry about in the universe that is The Shining. Yeah, well, what I don't know can't hurt me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, God, I don't know. I mean, so... Like, just to get this all out on the table, like, what are the options, right? Like, okay, well, the world of Jacob, like, honestly, you know what? You know what wouldn't suck? Living in the universe of Jacob's Ladder, because realistically, the universe of Jacob's Ladder is just the real world. The entire movie is just some dude's mind trip. Well, or it's purgatory, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you're either literally in hell or you're in, like, a dying man's fever dream. <laughs> I suppose. I guess it depends on how directly you want to interpret it, right? Are you in the world of the world that Jacob inhabits in I think, the course of the movie, which may be internal to his own mind? I think you'd have to be. I think, yes. I think you would have to be living in the world in which Jacob is living. Wow. Okay. So are you either a figment of somebody's fever dream and or purgatory experience or are you living inside the brain of a deranged scientist guy or do you live in a world where every single person goes through a nightmare hellish experience at their time of their death i mean is that i think we doubled up on jacob's ladder oh yeah i thought you were the first thing you were describing was jacob's ladder but the first thing you were describing was the shining no they're both oh they're both jacob's ladder are we interpreting it as oh you are purgatory is a true experience that all human beings experience upon their death i thought we were branching back out to the larger question so the thing i described was evil within oh i'm very confused yeah but no yeah what do you think (laughs) you know that's a hot mess already (laughs) I don't want to be in somebody else's dying dream because that's just like boring. I don't want to just be like a pawn in somebody else's spiritual revelation. Um, but what if you get to be like a demon? You know, I feel like I get enough of that in real fun. life. Um, I actually that came out weirdly. I had a train of thought that nobody else was following, obviously because I didn't vocalize it, and now that statement seems like it came out of nowhere. But I don't remember what my original thought was, so I can't backtrack. <laughs> um, I don't know. The Shining is just like people sucking our alcoholics and then there are ghosts. 
And that's a little too real life. I don't know, Evil Within. I'd go, I know there's like horrific things crawling around there and the story is convoluted, but I feel like it's some of the environments are pretty. <laughs> and I like weird shit. I don't know, Evil Within. All right. Also, because nobody else is going to say that, so somebody has to. I mean, no, that's not that's not necessarily true, but I respect your decision nonetheless. So, I mean, I would definitely live in the world of The Shining. It, the Shining feels like the easiest thing to, like, escape from. Yeah. I, that's, like, that's my entire goal for all of this, is getting as far <laughs> away from all of this shit as possible. And I don't think I could get away from it in either Jacob's Ladder or Evil Within, just sort of by definition, right? Like, either, like, regardless of how you interpret Jacob's Ladder, right, either it's I'm alive in the real world, and but then I've just got that coming for me, like at, like when I die, I'm going to have to go through that, or I'm some kind of demon who just, like, tears away people's like attachments to the real world or i guess the other interpretation is just you just live like that all the time and it's neither necessarily a you just set aside whether or not it's a temporary thing and just your life is like horrible new york here's what it comes down to for me it's like i feel like i'd be bored in the shining because you're in a hotel and i mean sometimes scary things happen but realistically if you're depending on like i guess the other question is like is jack torrance there because if he's there like no i don't want to hang out with that douchebag yeah that's fair but if it's like people i know yeah do i get to just be like a regular worker yeah is it, <laughs> is it can we be in the overlook hotel during like on season yeah yeah exactly could, do, yeah could we be how in this do i get to have the shining i don't know if you want to have the shining kind of do uh, it's all good maybe Dang. not maybe not in the overlook <laughs> yeah but you know what's funny, actually, since we had our Jacob's Ladder episode, I've been, I've because, you know, it's Halloween season and stuff, I've been watching a lot of horror movies, and I do keep finding things that definitely are inspired by Jacob's Ladder, especially with, like, the head twitching. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, let's dig into that some more, because that was one of the things that I know that we had wanted to talk about for the Evil Within podcast, and then just we had enough to say about that, so we didn't. But, yeah, wow, that game feels like it pulls a lot from Jacob's Ladder. I mean, I know Mikami was upfront about that, but yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say like between like creepy hospital, bloody hallways, and like stuff, right? Yeah, and then, um, even okay. So this is completely. We didn't cover the DLC in our Evil Within episode, but I went back and kind of like revisited that between after um, we recorded that episode, and Julie Kidman, at the end of her second DLC. Because two of the DLCs, you're playing as her. Um, she has to, like, fight two duplicates of herself. And they do the creepy head-twitching thing. Mm. And I was like, it's Jacob's Ladder! Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I was even going to say, like, the the way that, like, the people in the stem are kind of set up, like, sort of, like, half-submerged in, like, what looks like a bathtub reminded me a lot of just the the shots when he's got his fever and everyone's like crowding around him yeah like that's the kind of thing you see that in a lot of stuff i mean that's in like minority report right Mm -hmm. but still um fuck minority report was inspired by jacob's ladder probably let's be real arguably but i feel like (laughs) even then though i mean it's stuff where it's like i having someone partially submerged in water probably isn't the kind of thing where just on its own i'd be like ah yes jacob's ladder reference no one has ever been partially submerged in water before that film nope but didn't it it didn't happen before 1990 it did pioneer bathtubs in general yeah 
first ever. Yeah, no one had bathtubs before. That. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, oh, see how useful it was for this guy when he had a fever. <laughs> but no, I mean, like, it's the kind of thing where it's like, in the context of the rest of the evil within, that feels like it's obviously pulling so much from that movie. It makes it a lot harder to be like, well, here's this thing that maybe could be inspired. No, almost certainly. If we've already established, clearly Mikami has seen the movie and likes it. Yeah. So I think there are, okay. So I think that there are a lot of obvious connections between um, Jacob's Ladder and The Evil Within. But what about The Shining and Jacob's Ladder and also The Shining and The Evil Within? Well, The, the Shining predates jacob's ladder so it would be what like do we think there is any kind of influence there right from from the shining to jacob's ladder or not necessarily influence but just like themes that are that they share that are significant enough that it's not just like something that all scary things share yeah i think both of them do kind of a good job of setting up as weird as it sounds just sort of like the world in general as the villain um and there's a lot of things in even something like, say, the the train at the very beginning, right, feels a little bit like you've got the creepy things in the train, which I guess sort of makes it seem like they're driving it, I suppose. But I don't know. I guess I usually think of like a subway train as sort of like more it, closer to like a force of nature than like a like something that a person is actively controlling, which I know is not necessarily accurate, but like. It's still an easy, easy mental image for lots and lots of people to sort of build. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's like the trains run on like roughly a schedule and there's people there to make sure that, you know, you don't drive away with someone's hand stuck in the door. But, you know, other than that, it's it's not like the human operating the train is saying like, oh, well, I feel like going to Bergen Street today, you know, or like letting people decide where they're getting off and on. Right. You know. Well, I mean, I don't know if I don't know if we can say that this is a theme but both of them pretty heavily rely on one character seeing things that nobody else is really seeing true which i think is pretty central to the whole just psychological horror idea yeah yes. for sure and that's sort of similar to that is they're also both very good at showing a character very much inside their own head mm-hmm. right sort of forming this own individual headspace not even not even seeing things that other people aren't seeing but like just spending a lot of time internally reflecting okay with jacob's ladder especially right it's like he's the only real person like excluding that last scene in vietnam um everybody else is kind of there revolving around him serving a purpose for him and in the shining like you have essentially for most of the book you have kind of three real people or like living characters you have uh jack wendy and danny and then you get dick later on and at the beginning and then later on also but all these things in the hotel are kind of manifesting themselves as like, you know, similarly to Jacob's demons, but they're kind of serving Jack's story rather than kind of just existing there on their own. Like, I get the feeling that without Jack's presence, they would be, and also Danny's because he, you know, Danny has the shining and that's kind of like agitating them. They would be kind of, it's not like they would just be in the hotel by themselves being like, oh, we don't have anybody to haunt, but we're just going to go be here being creepy anyway. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's there's those few instances of, you know, it like those other kind of ghosts sort of like popping up and creeping out like one of the other workers. But yeah, I wonder what like that experience would be like for someone other than Jack. Like, 
I imagine that they wouldn't try and get at someone who's not an alcoholic through their alcoholism, right? Right, right, but I mean, there could be other ways that they can get to them. Oh, yeah, but I mean, I, I think going to what Cleo was saying, like, that it is, it does feel like this very personal thing, Yeah, you know? They also seem to be triggered by the shine, because I remember, like, all of the instances of the ghosts creeping out uh, people in the on-season for the hotel were for people that uh, Dick Halloran was like, yeah, I think this person has a little bit of the shine, and she went to clean that room, and never wanted to come back because of all the scary stuff she was seeing. Yeah. Which is why I still believe that Grady's kids also had the shine. That's my thing. Cause you, that's never established, right? Cause oh, like, not at all. Grady just, uh... and his kids and his wife, none of them are like known to have had the shining. We don't really know much about them in general at all. Yeah. It feels to me like the shine activates the hotel in some way. And maybe if it, you know, consumes more people with the shine, it will become more powerful and able to manifest. But yeah, that certainly see that at least certainly seems to be the implication when like it's talking about like wanting Danny. Yeah. Like I, I, mean, I can go ahead and pretty much confirm that the, the sequel novel is about this like group of, of what are essentially vampires um, who feed on the shine. And so there are these, like, powerful, supernatural beings who are kept more or less immortal by, cons- by like, killing people who have the shine and consuming the, like, raw energy that is the shining. So they're, like, psychic mm-hmm. vampires. Yeah, basically. And so the, the, the understanding, uh, when you take the two as a whole, is that the Overlook is a sort of, like, non-corporeal version of this creature or whatever you want to call them for some reason the aesthetic that i imagine for psychic vampires is glam rock <laughs> i don't know why but they're, that's uh, just they're more like like mid to late 80s carnies that is not at all what i would have <laughs> thought with you know what's weird actually and i know like this is not something we are at all covering in this series but the shining kept reminding me of 999 for some reason. I don't know if I can really name why. Trapped in a big empty place. Want to get out, but you can't really. Well, also, I think the, I guess the the repetition of Danny's experience might have lent to that because like it was constantly going back and going back to the dreams that he kept having, like with the same beats almost. Yeah, and I'd even say just as as someone who tries to compare everything to 999, there, there's a few good go-tos that you can use when you're trying to make this connection. Ah, uh, I, but, but no, I would say in this case, one thing that I think certainly, one thing that I think sort of it ties them most closely in my mind is just the structure where it's a lot of, you kind of have these brief periods of trial uh, followed by extended periods of narrative advancement, which I know is not, you know, wholly, I don't know, it, you get that in everything. It's the same thing in action movies, you know, so you get action scene and then you get plot and then you get whatever. But um, I don't know. I think that kind of does it for me. Maybe that it's some that like the trial does feel a bit like kind of a escape the room, like when you're trying to literally get away from creepy bathtub lady. Right. Um. But yeah, no, I I could see it. I mean, there's certainly that like 
you are trapped in a remote location, and that location is trying to kill the shit out of you. Yeah, I can see that. So now let's talk about 999. <laughs> for the next hour. I've been waiting for you to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Something I wanted to say earlier when we were talking about how, uh, you know, psychological horror very much seems to have that, you know, it's a personal experience that one person sees things that other people don't. Uh, it struck me as very interesting that the evil within sort of flipped that on its head and was like, yeah, this is not a personal psychological experience. This is a group hallucination, essentially. Yeah, and that it's shared between them, yeah. Like, it very distinctly is different from that thing that we just said, yeah, this is the earmark of psychological horror. Oh, wait, and then there was the evil within. But even the evil within does it to a certain extent, right? Like, I mean, obviously you're a player character and you're following one person and you're not in a group the entire time, so parts of it are going to be individual just by definition at that point. But... I think there's a like there's a like uh the hospital, right? The save room mm-hmm. is yeah. very much this individual, you know, delusion that Sebastian has where he when he is with other people and goes into a save room, he like walks into a room and then he just like given how they react when you come back, it's like he stands dazed in front of a mirror for several minutes. Yeah. Which is funny when you think about it, but Yeah. Um and now he can hit things harder. <laughs> yeah, what is Joseph thinking during that time? Because, like, he's with Joseph sometimes, and then he's just like, all right, I'm going to, like, stare in this mirror, like, be right back. <laughs> he's just, like, just, like, taps on his head a few times. Just like, what are you? Sebastian, are you? Just um, sit there in hopes he doesn't get murdered. <laughs> um, Cleo, I guess for you, being that you've played the full game and played the expansion, and I guess also being that for the Evil Within topic... Um, I specifically was talking about how it seemed like it didn't quite achieve the feel of like a group hallucination. Like it, it felt a little bit too directed by the single guiding force. Um, I didn't finish the game. So do you think that the evil within was ultimately like successful at trying to take that psychological horror is a personal experience and flipping it into psychological horror as a group experience kind of thing that it was getting at yeah was it so, successful so i kind of wish that the the game the main game itself was more like the dlc packs or at least the first two dlc which is the assignment and the consequence and the third one's kind of like i, I take it or leave it in my opinion um but like one thing that you learn in the DLC because you're playing as Julie Kidman is that you, you remember like the the kind of like village area with all like the religious symbols and there's like the big statue in the middle um, of like the angel with the wings and all that. So that's all pulled from Julie's past where she was like raised by parents who are super religious and like the whole village is basically like cultists. And so you find out that like some of these areas, because you you know in the in the original game that a little bit is being pulled from everywhere, right? Like a lot of it is Ruvik's mind. Some of it is influenced by you know things that Sebastian went through, and then you have some other stuff that you're just like, I don't. Especially with the religious stuff in the first game, in the original game, I mean, um, you're like, I don't know where this is coming from, but it turns out it's coming from Julie's childhood, 
And I really liked that, like the idea of like, okay, where the fuck am I? And you only find out much later that it's being pulled from someone who you know, but you just don't know their history well enough to be able to like recognize that. Um, and honestly, I think Julie Kidman's the most interesting character in the game <laughs> when you consider the DLC. But again, I do think they probably should have had more of that in the actual game itself because a DLC should not have to like completely save a story. Yeah, I would say it. I really do wish that they had done a bit more of that. And it, it seemed pretty clear that they were, I guess, most interested in really getting into Rubik. But yeah, that would have been really nice. I feel like that's the thing that that feels like the big opportunity that you would have in deviating from a traditional psychological horror thing in that way. You know, taking it from being a personal thing to something where you're kind of invading, so to speak, other people's own like personal experiences and they're kind of like bleeding into one another is yeah that opportunity to see these things and not know where they come from and then over the course of the game get more information and be able to go back and better understand those environments where they've mixed together i mean it's it's almost something like like psychonauts right like where you're like diving into other people's heads and you're seeing those things but like imagine how cool that would be i mean again psychonauts plays it for laughs obviously a pretty different kind of thing but I really like that idea of if you don't know whose head you're in, especially if they could set it up to make you think it was one person and then it's like actually someone else. I, yeah, I agree. It's really too bad that you need to get into the DLC to get that kind of experience. I feel like that's, that strikes me as like a really interesting path to go down. I hope they do more of that in the sequel. Um, I will say that I feel like I might have like enjoyed the evil within more if it, had been a little bit less about upgrading your one single character to meet increasingly difficult challenges that you're going to shoot guns at and a bit more about uh, exploring this crazy messed up world created by all these consciousnesses being blended together. Yeah, like, you know, a lot of people compare i mean we brought up silent hill in comparison with jacob's ladder right and it but silent hill is this psychological horror game that doesn't deal with upgrades at all there's no combat there is but like yeah not it's not like a key yeah you just you just pick up shit that you find around and use it as weapons for as long as you can if you need to fight but realistically you should try to run whenever possible Mm. like if the evil within was a game like that I think it would be more successful given what it is trying to do. Like the Resident Evil games can stand on their own with combat in them because it's it's you're playing cops and soldiers and people that are that exist to combat this thing, right? I mean, I guess Sebastian's a cop too, but just in my mind, I feel like with what they were trying to do with Evil Within, it would almost it would almost make more sense if if the combat and the and the upgrade system and all of that was just gutted. It'd be interesting to see something like that. I mean, we probably were going to with Kojima's Silent Hills, but... So... Why you gotta do that? Why you gotta bring that up? <laughs> and now we have a moment of silent for Silent Hills. Um, but yeah, interestingly, so the DLC with Julie Kidman is much more pure survival horror. Like, you do not have a weapon for most of it. Um, God, this DLC sounds so good. It's yeah, really like, good. I'm really, like, <laughs> irritated right now. I'm very irritated that they the game that I would have actually probably enjoyed, uh, well, I guess watching someone play was just an afterthought onto this game in 
this game in general, which I personally thought was kind of a hot mess because it was trying to be so much about combat. And that was really uh, a detraction, apparently, in my mind, from just how frustrating combat was and also from how it is largely impeding all of the interesting story stuff that they could have explored without it. Yeah, it's... God, DLC is definitely, in my mind, superior. Especially because I I really like the first half of Evil Within, and then I really like the DLC. The second half of Evil Within has, like, some moments that I'm I'm into, but overall I think the story just starts to get a little bit too twisted. But, um, I mean, even with the DLC, like, the relationship between Julie and Rubik is, like, super interesting. Like, they don't interact a whole lot, but he's not just, like, like, the first, they have, like, a few conversations where it's not just, like, I'm gonna kill you. He's, like, fucking with her head. He's, like, psychologically, because the whole thing is, like, she is working for this, like, kind of evil, shadowy organization that was, um, like, the people, they were the people who were behind, like, Dr. Jimenez and Rubik's STEM thing. And so she sent in to, like, go get Leslie and whatever, and then Ruvik is, like, basically telling her, like, oh, yeah, you're, exp- you don't know it yet, but you're just as expendable as I was and stuff. And it's, like, he's, like, messing with her in a way that's not just, like, boo. <laughs> but there is one thing that I think, actually, you guys would have been really into is once you finish the DLC, there's, like, a new mode that I can't remember what it's called um, that pops up. It's kind of like a new game plus situation where you go through the facilities that you're in um the environment where it's like pitch black and you just have the flashlight and the flashlight is like the only source of light you have along with like some emergency lights um but because the idea is like oh this place doesn't have power so it makes it like a hundred times scarier but i kind of wish that you had that option right from the get-go because i like as soon as i'm done playing it i don't want to like go through it and play it all over again yeah man it really seems like like Julie is the interesting character. Well, a that Julie's the interesting character, and b that all of the interesting stuff is like only things that they got to after they made the entire game. Yeah. Also, fuck Ruvik. Why did we have to focus so much on Ruvik? I hate him. He's just a spoiled piece of shit. See, I love Ruvik. God, the game spends the whole time justifying why he's so terrible, and I don't like it. All right, I don't want to shit on Evil Within anymore. I'm just... This new information is making me very disappointed at the stuff that we played through, as opposed to all of this apparently super interesting stuff that we could have had. I do have to say, when I was writing and recording the summary for Evil Within, it did become, like, very clear how convoluted the story was as I was trying to, like, (laughs) compose something that made sense at all. (laughs) So it seems like the only reason that you got through the base game is because you were high as balls on pain meds. I was on any then... pain meds. Oh, you were high as balls on pain in general. Just pain, yeah. Well, that was a let's play, right? Yeah, when I was, yeah, because I could not, like, move my head. I would have thrown up had I been playing the game during that first time. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like the only reason you got through the base game is because you connected with it in some weird way. I had a spiritual and moment. Then... And it was completely irrational, <laughs> and I understand this, and I understand that nobody else in the world probably has that connection, and I'm just completely and utterly alone in this, and that's fine. But then you played the DLC and got to the actual good stuff, and now you love it. Yeah. I mean, you already loved it, but now you have a 
non-irrational spiritual moment to on which to base your love of the game. Yeah, I think, and also, part of it might be that I love the potential for what Evil Within 2 could be, based on the good things from Evil Within and its DLC. Hmm. I'm crossing my fingers. So, one thing that I did want to talk about, it vaguely with Evil Within, but just more broadly, with psychological horror as a whole, particularly in games, I think one of the really interesting things that we talked about some for The Shining and for Jacob's Ladder is that there's a certain amount of trying to figure out what's actually going on and what's real and what's not and whether certain things are in a character's head. I mean, I we talked a bit about the fact that I think one of the most frustrating moments in The Shining is when uh, Wendy starts seeing the ghosts as well. You know, and you have like that you start getting out beyond these are things that only Jack can see and that Danny is maybe seeing because he has the shine, right? Where it might just be existing in Jack's head and then Danny is just sensitive to that. So it ends up being really disappointing when it kind of confirms like, no, this is real. There are actual ghosts and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's at least for me, there was a really, uh, a really interesting tension that was going on up until then that you, you lose a little bit of, but so I think that one of the things that, is exciting about psychological horror seems like something that you would really lose in a game where that question of whether or not something is real kind of doesn't matter because you as the player need to deal with it, right? Like if let's take even something like more, more basic than evil within, like let's say in Galaga, right? Like the alien spaceships, like let's say those aren't real. Spoiler alert for Galaga. Yeah, spoiler for Galaga, the, spa- the enemy spaceships. But um, you're like space invaders. Like, let's even do space invaders, more basic. Let's say that there's not actually... Like, what if you were to be like, oh, twist for space invaders. They weren't really invading from space. You know, it's just like, it doesn't really matter, right? Because as far as you care, as that little ship, like, you need to kill the space invaders. It doesn't really matter if they're real or not. Yeah. Um, do you think that that's something that can work well in a game like that particular tension of is it real is it not because for me it seems like the kind of thing where so many games like i don't have like that tension when i'm playing i don't know, like just some other fantasy game right like if i'm playing shadow of mortar from you know a little while ago it, i'm not just so like oh are these you, orcs real like no it doesn't matter i have to kill them like, i mean i guess it could work if if it made narrative sense right like you couldn't put it in just any game because it's not gonna, it's not gonna matter, especially if the player is not necessarily invested mm-hmm. in that kind of way. But like, if you were to turn the premise of The Shining into a video game, where you have to, like, Gone Home style, you have to navigate this hotel, and there's things that may or may not be real going on. Like, well, Gone Home as an example, right? Like, whether or not the ghost of Oscar is real, and yeah. like, and and those things are like valid questions that the players have to deal with and. And uh, the game honestly never confirms, but he's real. But it, uh, <laughs> but it, it does create this this tension in in the player, and I think it is a valid. It is something that can be done in games, but they have to really want to do it. Whereas you can't, you couldn't just apply it to any game. You know what's interesting having to do with that, and I think all three of the uh, titles that we covered for this series could benefit from this is god and i'm gonna like paraphrase an author who i really don't like just as a human being which is orson scott card um but 
as much as I hate Orson Scott Card, he has a couple of like books on writing that are fairly decent. And one of the things he talks about is like the rules of magic in any given like fictional universe and how they have to like be really well defined, at least for like the person who's, you know, the author or the creator. And you have to understand them. And then of course, like, you know, later on in the story you can kind of bend and break them, but you have to like, you know, have a good definition for what they are at the beginning. And the Shining, it's like, yeah, when Wendy starts seeing the ghost, it kind of seems like, okay, so my understanding of the rules aren't quite what I thought they were, but not in a, like, a cool twisty way, kind of just like in a, oh, this is starting to feel a little bit sloppy, maybe. And with Jacob's Ladder, the whole thing is kind of, like, I don't know, it, it's, I like, I have mixed feelings about Jacob's Ladder, but it, it does feel like it could use, it could have used, like, a little bit more tightening with, like, you know, what are the demons able to do to him? And what, what power do they have? What power does he have exactly? Instead of just like a string of like weird, creepy scenes. And then Evil Within for sure could have used like a lot more tightening with like, okay, what power does Ruvik really have over the universe? He can teleport and he can kind of change the environment. But if we're all in his brain and he's like trying to kill everybody, couldn't he just like do that with like by snapping his fingers or like teleporting and like sticking an ice pick in their brain or something? Like if he's really that powerful in this place, why can't he do that? And if we're all contributing, like, all these people who are hooked up to STEM contributing to, like, the composition of this world, then why is there such an emphasis on weapons and upgrading weapons? Like, isn't that just all in our brains? And can't we just, like, click our heels together and believe that we have a better shotgun and then, or believe that we're invincible because this is all just in our heads? Like, can't we just make it real by believing it because we're all kind of lucid dreaming? It's just... Like, one of my pet peeves with any kind of, like, speculative fiction thing is when the rules of how the universe works are just not, I mean, ill-defined to the point where I felt, I feel like the people who created it didn't even really, don't, don't even really know what they, how they think the universe works. Yeah, it is one of those unfortunate things where it feels like in all of these, at least to some extent. Yeah, I agree that it feels like the universe works the way it needs to to serve the story right now. <laughs> like, Ruvik doesn't, you know, teleport and stab anyone with an ice pick because that wouldn't be interesting for the story. But he can teleport and stab people with ice picks because that makes him creepy in, like, some other scene. Yeah, no, that is unfortunate. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like the people who who argue, like, oh, why didn't they fly the giant eagles into Mordor? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, it wouldn't have been an interesting story. Like yeah. It's a clear hole in a plan that you can be like, oh, well, this should have just happened, but then... I feel like the difference for me is uh, how good is the thing that you were trying to do that leaves a hole, right? Like, I, I don't need my plot to The Lord of the Rings to be, like, 100% bulletproof and coherent because, like, it's, it's the kind of thing where in that case I'm fine with just being like, yeah, because... Would you have read that? No, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's why they didn't. That'd be a shitty story. But at the same time, it's like, okay, but then you really need to go through and, like, do, like, a really good job with that other thing to make it justify, like, suspending your disbelief. Exactly. And that's yeah. evil within can't, can't muster that. Well, I think that's the thing is that all of them do, I think, just varying degrees, even, like, throughout the course of their own narrative, right? Like, in Jacob's Ladder... I think there's a big long stretch in Jacob's Ladder where I I I wasn't really sure. It it really came down to I'm I'm going to be okay with all of this if it can pull it together in the end. Like and use it to say something, right? 
And that's the big thing is it's I think that Jacob's Ladder succeeds the most. I would probably argue Evil Within succeeds the least. I don't think Shining succeeds very well with that. I mean, we mm-hmm. talked a lot about that in that episode where I feel like it goes and it does all that stuff with like the weird rules and oh, we can do this and we can do that to make this scene happen and this scene happen. But then I don't think that that altogether comes together to serve the story very well either. Yeah. But, you know, so stuff like that where, yeah, no, I I agree. Like, I... Jacob's Ladder, I'm okay with it as it was. I agree it probably could have been... It would have been nice to, for it to be a bit more consistent, but I'm that one I'm okay with. But yeah, Shining, I think, could have used it. I agree Evil Within could have used it. Most video games realistically could use it. Yeah. I... Just as a general rule, I think that's something that video games don't do a very good job of, which is weird because those are the ones that actually need to codify a lot of their rules, at least for you. Enemies can do whatever the fuck they want. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of wish that the world in The Evil Within had been a little bit more like the Fade in the Dragon Age series. Mm. Like, just... I like I like the surreal aspects of it and whatnot, but again, like I would have liked to see a little bit more about like how it's influenced by the specific people. And I know it was like a gajillion people were hooked up to Steb, and that's why they're all these haunted there because like Mobius, which is like the evil organization, was abducting like random fucking people from Crimson City and like experimenting on them. But I guess that's why like the inside of stem looks just like a fucked up version of crimson city but yeah i would have liked to see like what fucked up secrets joseph's past had and like how that would have like manifested in that world and even like a little bit more of sebastian's stuff because we kind of follow his story and his like the whole thing about his wife like that gets slightly cleared up barely i don't even want to say cleared up like they expand upon it in the dlc a little bit like you see Myra for all of like three seconds, um, but that's about it. I just don't understand where why they would lose the opportunity to have a Ruvik who was in all this fire and B Sebastian whose daughter was all in all this fire and not you know draw some weird fucked up parallels there and like make things crazy and intense for Sebastian. Instead of just, here are some journal entries talking about Sebastian's terrible past. Feel bad for him now, please. And then all these other things are going to have nothing to do with Sebastian's past. The end. I don't know, Cleo, tell me if I'm wrong. Does something happen to do... Is that ever, like, brought together in any interesting way? I mean, I don't know what happens when you get, like, all the map fragments and whether maybe, like, that's the thing that clarifies every single little detail of the story that we are hung up on that we don't know the answers to i highly highly doubt it there's someone listening just banging their head against the desk saying like oh if you collect all the map fragments that explains it all you shouldn't have to get all the hidden collectibles in order to get interesting moments of juxtaposed character backstories in a game specifically about putting the minds of characters in a blender and pushing the on button yeah, like, I don't know whether it's ever... I feel like they're building up for a bigger revelation about the connection between Sebastian and Myra's daughter and, like, all the other stuff that's going on. It could be that, like, there are a bunch of fan theories that make a lot of sense. I just haven't read them yet because I just don't want to right now. But it 
again, I'm very excited for Evil Within 2, also very nervous because of the loose ends. I like a little bit of loose ends, but maybe not quite as many as Evil Within left us with. I have a question for y'all. Uh, well, I just went like full Texas with the y'all. Um, out of Sebastian, uh, I don't want to say Jack because no one's gonna say I identify with Jack, right? Um, I want to say like which of the protagonists do you identify with the most, or maybe not even protagonists, just out of all the characters from all three titles we looked at, who do you feel like the strongest connection to? God, I don't know if I feel much of a connection to anyone in any of these. Terry from Gone Home. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, in my regular job, I'm a I'm a hotel caretaker. So, you know, I I guess really. Grady. Grady. Jack. Yeah. 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 Grady. Grady. Yeah. I, I died during that. So. Man, I can't even think of a like a funny side character pick for this one. Nope. Like we could joke about it being like Joseph, but man, did we hate Joseph? I fucking hated Joseph. <laughs> I identify most with Kidman, I guess. Nicole. Nicole. Her name's not Nicole. Nobody get confused with that. Kidman, who is always running off in the distance and trying to get shit done while the men she's occasionally with just bumble around and just try so hard and fail so completely. I, yeah, I, I got nobody. I, mm-mm. You don't identify with Jesse? I identify with non-demon Jesse, who's just like, why the fuck are you acting so crazy right now? <laughs> That's it. Identify with Macaulay Culkin for all his, like, two-second scenes. I am, in fact, you know, an, an angel of death, so. I've been known to go back for things that I drop in the middle of the street. <laughs> God. Uh, Fun story. I once almost got hit by a car because I dropped my book and I turned around to get it. And this other car, to be fair, car was running a red light. So not totally my fault, but <laughs> it was a very close call. I almost want to say, and I don't really know why, but Tatiana Gutierrez who is, like, the nurse in the save room. Because she's she's just kind of, like, the caretaker of this. She's, like, a less creepy Jack Torrance. (laughs) Like, she's the caretaker of this, like, save room. And, like, all sorts of creepy shit's happening there. But she's just like, oh, yeah, this is normal for me. Yeah, I can see it. She just kind of rolls. I can see it. That's a good pick for you. That actually sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) My other choice was Laura because of the hair. But that would pretty much be it. Just the hair. And that I don't, like, fire. No, I'm fine with fire. So, no. Definitely Tatiana. I feel like the thing that makes this really hard, and we've talked about this some, is that all of these seem very focused with fleshing out, like, one character, right? Yeah. So it's almost kind of hard to relate to anyone but that main character because the side characters, I mean, particularly in Jacob's Ladder, like, explicitly exist to serve that main character's narrative. You know, like, everyone who Jacob meets, at the end of the day, their character is boiled down to not even like in like the literal like oh they are some kind of a demon but it's they their purpose is to move jacob towards his death right like they kind of come in to serve those purposes and you just don't really get a lot of time to like get to know that much about their like needs or wants or desires or anything like that Mm -hmm. um I mean, in The Shining, it's kind of similar. You get a you get a handful. I mean, you really get... That's mainly Jack and Dick, though. 
Wendy, you get a good amount of. Danny is barely a person. Um, Admittedly, he's a five-year-old. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, it's because he's poorly written. I mean, five-year-olds are Man, barely what people. A, what a terrible character. But, I mean, like, there's not, like, a lot to really, like, relate to or not there, you know, in the same way that I have a hard time relating to most five-year-olds. Yeah. Um, like, you, you could reflect on your own childhood and draw connections there, but yeah, you can't feel, like, a genuine connection to the character. Yeah. But, I mean, like, even then, most of his, like, the stuff to which you could connect are him going, th- most of the things to which you could connect are his supernatural experiences with his dad. Like, that's most of what you get. But... Yeah, so that's kind of tough. It's as weird as it is. It seems like it's just kind of slim pickings for this this topic just because normally you've got like a whole book or movie or game filled with like several characters who are fleshed out enough that you could be like, oh, well, this person or that person. Whereas this, it's like you've got one person with all of their like craziness and flaws just laid out for the world to see and then a bunch of kind of one note paper thin yeah who are there to draw out those flaws it's more like you've got one character each and with maybe the exception of jacob's letter they're all terrible they're just terrible that protagonist and not necessarily that they're like a poorly written character there's a bad person yeah 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 Yeah. ruvik gets the most attention in evil within i certainly don't identify with (laughs) ruvik well my house was burned down as a child yeah, I like. I used to experiment on pigs when I was a child. I used to like, you know, lobotomize small animals or enlarge exactly. animals. Um, do you think it's like a common trait of horror in general? Like, there's maybe one character who's experiencing everything, and like they're maybe a little bit fleshed out and interesting, but there's so much focus on like let's make this scary, so and just not enough on character development. I mean, Probably. I will say I don't think there's necessarily a lot of character development in most horror in general. I feel like psychological horror specifically is is more focused on a single person than like the horror genre overall. Like thinking to back to like Until Dawn from last year, right? Like and that kind of horror film which has become pretty common from the 80s like through to today is about like a group of people who are all given a small amount of personality and fleshing out, but it's about the scare. And most of those characters don't really have a chance to get fleshed out because, you know, they die. Yeah. Yeah, no, I could see that. I'm trying to think of other, like, horror stuff that I've, like, gone through. I mean, so, I mean, I don't know, let's go back a year, right? Let, let's look at Mountains of Madness and It Follows. Like, It Follows has some kind of interesting character development, mainly just in how people deal with it. Yeah. And their relationships with each other definitely get tested yeah. and whatnot to a certain degree yeah that does a pretty good job with it yeah i'm trying to think if there's like a horror movie or book or game even that like where i feel has it just has like a very satisfying character arc and i can't right now like i i, I can think of ones that are like satisfactory yeah to a degree but not one that's like really like oh yeah i really like i feel like a more complete person for having experienced this story. Well, I think part of the problem is that most horror takes place across such a short span of time that all you ever really get to see the characters do is react to things that are scary. Hmm. You know what? I just thought of one that I, 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 the eye, it's a Chinese movie. Don't, I don't, don't watch the remake, but um, it's an excellent horror movie. And I felt that there was a lot of character development in it. Everyone should watch it. Nice. 
it's fantastic. I hadn't even heard of that. Yeah, it's pretty, I think it was like 2000, 2001, I want to say. But yeah, it was, it was like one, it was unfortunately, the chain, it was, uh, there was an American remake. I think with like Jessica Alba, I want to say. But it was, it did not please me. I was displeased. American remake of high quality Chinese horror film featuring Jessica Alba? You're saying all the right things. <laughs> <laughs> And so some of the other stuff we've done, right? We've done Lovecraft. Lovecraft, not known for strong characters. I mean, which makes some sense, right? Lovecraft is largely, it's not about the person you're following. Lovecraft is about whatever that person is discovering. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, actually, okay. So right now, speaking of Lovecraft, I'm reading currently the Southern Reach trilogy by Jeff Vandermeer, which is highly, highly, highly influenced by Mountains of Badness. Nice. And that has some very satisfying character development. Um, it's very character driven, very creepy, subtly creepy, not like like hitting you over the head with a shovel, scary, but like more that kind of like something here is vaguely out of place. Let me reread that paragraph. Oh my god, that is like really scary if you really think about it. Yeah, I, I it won a Nebula, or the first book in the series in the trilogy won a Nebula, but again, like. That, I definitely think, is one of the more... I would never... I don't know if I would call it, like, straight-up horror at all. That's the thing, right? I feel like things that flirt with horror, mm. but are kind of based in another genre, tend to be the titles that have satisfying character development while also being, substan like, you know, creepy to a degree where I would say, like, yeah, I would put this maybe slightly in the horror category. That makes sense. I wonder if it's the presence of that other character development that I guess was by its nature is going to dilute the, just like the overall scare concentration. I mean, it's sort of like what, what you were talking about, where it's like in a horror thing, you've got this and just over the course of that thing. You're almost always just seeing people react to stuff because a yeah. horror thing is generally pretty heavy on scary moments. Horror tends to go towards the, you know, seeing what people are capable of in their darkest moments kind of thing. Mm. It's it's character revealing, not character development. Mm. Like, character development would be seeing, you know, what happens to a person in the wake of, you know, terrible, scary things. Yeah. But the, uh, I mean, you know, you, you don't really see that a lot in horror because person over a long enough period of time who's just being constantly bombarded with scary things that's more you know like that's more like lovecraftian and you just see people go into gibbering insanity yeah so i wonder if that's why the something that feels like it's generally some other genre and then sort of touches on horror flirts with horror or starts to like approach horror but doesn't quite get there like i wonder if it is just like the presence of that other character development stuff just dilutes the scary moments enough that it's hard to feel like it's horror because you can pair it to other things that sacrifice those character moments in exchange for creating like these really tight i want to say emotional arcs but that usually means something else it, emotional specifically referring to the feeling of scared but like these are like really tight roller coaster rides right that they can pull you along and send you like way into being scared and pull you back out and let you rest for a bit and then in and out and in and out and those kinds of things and you just end up sacrificing the tightness that makes like really strong horror in order to add that character development and that's why you end up with kind of a hybrid yeah i mean it's just horror pretty much has to happen on a short time scale 
uh, because if it if it's if it happens on a long enough time scale, the kind of time that you're talking about, that would actually lead to character development and, and stuff like that and characters mm-hmm. processing what they've been through and changing because of it, you know, then you're talking about things that are repeatedly happening to people. And then there's just a sense of like exhaustion and despair. Mm. And that's not really, you know, maybe sure there's still jump scares, but that's not really horror anymore. That's despair. Yeah. Coming back to another perennial favorite, Danganronpa. (laughs) 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 Maybe that's a good, that's an okay example. Danganronpa board, eh, I wouldn't call Danganronpa horror. Not really. Yeah. Okay. I just thought of something though. I would say out of video games, Silent Hill 2 is probably the best bet you have for like character development and a horror thing. I believe that. I've not played Silent Hill 2, but I know enough about video games to know that it is highly regarded as being just really fucking cool. All right, so next year. Next year, I would actually be down to watch Let's Plays of Silent Hill 2. Again, not going to play it, but... (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't the game have like 100 endings or something? Not 100. It's got a bunch of endings. I don't think so. I thought Silent Hill was pretty straightforward. Cleo? It has several endings. Yeah. There's like a dog ending. I I feel like the dog ending is like the kind of legendary one the one that's just like way the fuck out there also like i think there's a ufo ending right yeah it was like aliens or something i don't know it gets weird i don't know i haven't seen it i've just heard people talk about like oh man silent hole 2 so many good endings and that dog ending can you believe that one and i'm just like yeah you know because i want to seem like you know a cool guy who knows what he's talking about right and can also play scary games oh yeah true i can totally do that so uh corinne you talking about things happening on a short time scale reminded me of something and it makes me wonder if the reason why kind of the best character development I can think of in horror stuff comes from horror comics, which go on a longer scale, but I think also, though, end up in that realm of being sort of like flirting with horror, because three just of the big ones that I can think of just off the top of my head, Lock and Key by Joe Hill, um, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing run, and uh, Game in Sandman, all of those are certainly ostensibly a horror comics that's what they started out as what it's what the official label would be the tricky thing is i think that certainly sandman i think a lot of people would categorize more closely with fantasy swamp thing borders on being a superhero comic at times yeah um and at lock and key i would say is Lock and Key is probably the most straightforwardly horror of yeah, all out, of them. Kind of out and out intended to be horror from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. But the other ones, though, I mean, it's I wouldn't say that Sandman or uh, Swamp Thing aren't intended to be horror. I, it makes me wonder if it's just kind of what we think of as horror over you know the thirty years since those came out, twenty years, thirty years, um, has kind of shaped how we see those because all of those I can think. Of, I mean, Sandman gets scary at several points it eases up on that a bit as you go and gets way more again kind of fantastic but i think all of those as things that are sort of that very long form horror, i think of all of those as having really good character development and i wonder if it comes from that where the horror tends to come in short-term storylines and you end up with more of like an anthology feel and if that's where you get it you get the horror in the short-term stories and the character development in the longer-term stories yeah uh Actually, some of the good 
horror and character development stuff that I can think of are actual play podcasts that I listen to. Mm. So I, I listen to a lot of podcasts of people playing role-playing games. That's just like my jam. And um, there's one in particular that I listen to that is in the, well, is in a Call of Cthulhu type system. So it's it's a horror and a lot of it is psychological horror. It's like a psychological horror podcast, but the players, you know, are coming to their characters each week and I guess having time to think about how their characters would react and change. So even though time is moving pretty quickly for the characters, you know, the players are recording an episode or a couple episodes each week. So they have time to process what their characters are experiencing and like changing accordingly. So I'm not going to say that it's impossible to do horror and character development, but it's probably really, really hard in a movie or probably almost impossible in a movie, probably more feasible in a book, probably would be more feasible in video games if we were at, I guess, the stage of video games where they were a little bit more mature and probably more likely to be done successfully in just other forms of media yeah i'd say i I mean i like again i don't the horror element of this is seems a little bit more background than foreground but the telltale walking dead games sure um i really enjoyed uh for character you know for character reasons and like there were definitely kind of like you know scary-ish moments but that didn't i don't know i i whenever i think about those games i don't think oh yeah so creepy i think like oh yeah great characters yeah and then i mean even walking dead the show i know that's like people are very you know all over the place with that and i don't even want to think about it after the season seven premiere but um i generally you know have been i've one i think i'm like one of the only people i know who's been like very loyal like religiously watching that show and I, it's a little bit hit or miss with character development. Like some characters are very interesting and they have very interesting arcs and others who are, you know, often kind of the characters who are featured more um, are a little bit less interesting. And so, and again, like at first, I think that show was, you know, much more relying on horror, but now it's kind of, it's it's less about they have like it feels like they want to have the horror element there because they feel it's necessary they have to like reach a quota of of scares but really they're just trying to tell like another story at this point yeah i didn't even think about the walking dead which is weird because that seems like the big preeminent both television and comics like long-running character-based horror thing yeah yeah is it weird that zombies just don't feel like horror to me anymore? I think that might be why. Like, they're just kind of a genre unto themselves. Yeah, it's it's a genre unto itself with its own tropes, and it not a lot of those tropes... I, I don't know. There's, like, there's like a, a modern genre of zombie that I think is very different from... You're like Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, or, or even, like, the older Resident Evil games, which were still sort of about zombies. Think about like twenty eight days later, right? Which is like not technical zombies, but definitely you know of that genre. They're basically yeah, zombies. Yeah. Um, that had great characters. I don't know, like, I think yeah, I would say character development for a movie. It does like a good job of com- of combining horror with character development. I would agree. I really like twenty eight days later. Although I will say, 
that in my opinion the horror isn't it's not really like the horror's not really from the zombies the horror's from the people <laughs> yeah the people are the scary thing in 28 days later i think we all know the best example is probably Shaun of the dead oh absolutely just hands down yeah yeah Shaun of the dead is the best example of most things it's true early victorian literature Shaun of the dead <laughs> I just remember the posters for that first one up, and I just there's a great tagline. I was under the train tracks by my house, and it was like Shaun of the Dead, a romantic comedy with zombies, and that was just all it said. There was nothing else on it. Pretty good, but yeah, I mean, this was an interesting topic. I, I mean, I'm so glad it's done. <laughs> Stop thinking about scary things. Um, for, for another year. Yep. I'll be off the hook for not even a year. I only get like 10 months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, but, you know, take what I can get. Um, but yeah, it was neat. Next year I'm going to find some way to work the witch into this. Oh, oh for boy. Sake. I really want us to cover the Neon Demon at some point. Actually, I would watch Neon Demon. I love Nicholas Winding Ruffin, so. Yeah. I don't know. I At the very least, I got to say, I... I'm glad we went through all these things. I'm glad I saw Jacob's Ladder. I didn't even know what that was before. And I'm, again, you know, hard to say I liked it, but cool thing to like have in my pocket is like a thing I'm aware of now. That was really neat. Yeah. yeah. Same with The Shining. Always kind of felt like just in general a thing that, I don't know, was like a big cultural touchstone that I feel like I ought to have known more about. Same. <laughs> and didn't before this. And I was really interested in Evil Within. I know that there were a lot of people who thought it was, like, really cool. And I think I remember a lot of people saying, like, oh, I'm really interested in seeing where they go with this later. Now I'm doubly interested in seeing what the sequel's like. Again, not necessarily going to play it, but I'm glad that I've got a point of reference for that. Don't worry. We'll just make it. Then we'll we'll fit it into the podcast somehow. God, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Come on. Just to make sure you can see it. Anyway. But yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we've been kind of down on a lot of these, especially as we've sort of dug into specifics, and it's... They do very interesting things, but are probably some of the most, like, flawed pieces of media we've covered on the podcast so far. We're not talking Armada bad, but... Yeah. But yeah. That's just bad. But these are definitely flawed works that do that still do interesting and compelling things. Yeah, I agree with that overall. Can I just say that I love that even, like, after a year later, we're still totally traumatized by Armada. Was, and we compare everything just... to it when we're, like, talking about its uh, quality. I don't want anyone to come into this podcast and see that we did that episode and opt not to listen to it and think that maybe we enjoyed it. Yeah, that's I, a good point. I don't want there to be any sort of, like, implied or taciturn, like, I don't know. Approval. Yeah, approval or encouragement to interact with that in any way. Made me sad, sad and angry, and not like something that's supposed to make you sad and angry, right? But yeah, so all right, so with that, finally put a bow on this one, and we can get into some sci-fi noir. Uh, Remember, next episode is going to be Altered Carbon, and then Blade Runner, and then Gemini Rue, and with that, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Read, Watch, Play. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show. 
You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RWP Podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash RWP Podcast. Check out our Tumblr at rwppodcast.tumblr.com. And look out for our game streams on Twitch at twitch.tv slash readwatchplay. Any last words? That was, I felt very threatened by that. Why would you say it like that? Last words? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> any good. last words? That's the thing you say before you kill someone. It's the horror topic. <laughs> any last words? He says after we finish talking about all these horror things. Yeah. Jeez. You know, it's nice knowing you guys. Yeah. Peek behind the curtain, but we're coming up on Halloween. I know we joked about Justin being an EVP, but I didn't think you were actually going to kill him. <laughs>